I am so strong I broke the, the, the music stand. Or maybe, or maybe I'm not smart enough to figure out how to put it together. One of the two. All right, good morning. Welcome to Restoration Church. I almost needed help. I got it, Ben. Thanks. Uh, welcome to Restoration Church. My name is Pastor Kevin, and I thought I would start out today telling you a joke. All right. What do you call someone who doesn't toot in public? A private tutor. Yeah? Hey, welcome to Restoration Church. I am glad you are here worshiping with us today. Um, I hope you have been warmly greeted and, and welcomed here. Um, if I haven't had the chance to greet you, I hope I have the opportunity at some point today. And uh, I'm just thankful and excited to be able to worship alongside each of you today. Uh, I was thinking about... I was thinking about this message today, and I was thinking about leadership. Leadership is scary. And I don't, you know, I don't know if you understand leadership, um, but not all leadership is, is, is scary. But when we're looking at biblical leadership, man, it's an overwhelming thing. And the reason why biblical leadership is so difficult, and I think should be scary, is because it's so different when the, than the, what the world says. The world says, if you have leadership then it's all about power and influence and authority and it's being the top dog. And man, that feels good, doesn't it? But biblical leadership is different. Biblical leadership isn't about power and authority. It is about influence, but it's, it's not about power. In fact, there's a story in Mark chapter 10 where, where Jesus, he's, he's hanging out with his disciples. I think they were watching the UFC fight on TV and they're hanging out. And James and John, who are the sons of thunder, they say, Hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, when you go to heaven, can we have the seats on the right and left hand of you? You know, those are the seats of authority and power. You know, we want to sit right beside you, Jesus. And all the other disciples, they get all, they get all angry. Not because they're, they're, you know, those selfish disciples. No, they're jealous. Like, they all want those seats of authority and power and influence. And Jesus says, no, hold on, guys. Actually, he says in... Mark 10, 42, he says, And Jesus called them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, ruler of the world, they lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you as Christians. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. And here's Jesus who's our leader, says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. See, biblical leadership means it's not all about you. Biblical leadership means that you are there to serve and to love other people. You're there to honor them. And that's an overwhelming task. And what makes that task even more scary is, 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 is leaders are going to be held accountable for how they use that leadership. Hebrews 13 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. As a pastor, as a leader, there's going to be a day and I'm going to stand before God. I'm going to give an account for how I've loved and led the church. And I'll just be honest, that there have been more sleepless nights as a pastor than any other time in my life. Because I look and I see people that I love, people I care for, people who are choosing to do what's convenient instead of doing what God says. I see people I want the best for, and I see people who I'm, I'm passionate about, who've been longing for their greatest dreams to fulfill. And it seems like that door keeps getting shut, despite how much they want that dream to happen. I look and I see people I want to see growth. I want to see lives changed. Listen, that is the weight of leadership, of biblical leadership, is that when God places us in leadership, we are going to be held accountable, not for how we used our power and our authority, but how we loved. Listen, Paul writes to Timothy and says many aspire to leadership, and that is a good thing. But we need to understand leadership comes with a weight, with a responsibility that is not a light thing. We must be ready for that 
if we are going to step into leadership. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you need a Bible, there's an usher in the back, and uh, he'll come and bring a Bible to you. Just slip your hand up. If you've got a phone, you're welcome to pull it up in your phone or uh, iPad, whatever technical device you have. In 1 Peter, we've kind of been in this section where, where Peter's been teaching us, hey, this is what it looks like for you and I to respond to Christ. We've talked about, um, as a Christian, this is how we respond to what God has done. He said you're supposed to live honorably among non-believers. Okay, non-believers, those are people who don't believe the same way as you, who don't believe in the same God as you. He says you're supposed to live in a way that respects them and honors them. He said you, as a Christian, are supposed to submit to a government, even if they're a good government or they're a bad government. Doesn't matter if you're the, for the Republicans or against them. Doesn't matter if you're for the Democrats or against them. We have a responsibility as Christians, as long as we're not forced to disobey God's command, to submit and honor our government leaders. We're told that we are to submit and honor to our bosses. Whether you have a good boss or whether you work for a jerk. As a Christian, we are to submit to our boss. Seek their best interests. We summarize this idea that to submit means that we are to uh, be hurt for doing good without seeking bitterness or revenge. Now, I don't know about you, but I read through this section and I'm waiting for Peter to flip the switch. I'm like, Peter, okay, you've said Christians, you've got to go and submit, you've got to go and do this. I'm waiting for Peter to flip the switch and be like, now let me tell you what's going to happen to that bad government leader. Like, I'm going to spank that guy. Like, I'm waiting for him to say, hey, that jerk boss that you work for, here's what he's got. Like, anybody else in that mode? Am I the only one? Okay, well, I'm waiting for him to flip the switch and say, this is what the bad guys have coming to him. That's not what he's going to do. See, Peter understands that if we believe that God is sovereign, we believe that God is in control of all things, that means that God is even in control of secular institutions. So he could come in and spank that jerk boss that you work for. Right, Jacob? But, but Peter's not communicating consequences for leaders. He's talking just to the Christians, saying, listen, this is what's expected for you. Regardless of the circumstances, this is what expected for you. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we saw this last week. He, he, he continued on this section on what it looks like for Christians in, in, in real life situations. And he said, wives, wives, this is your call. Is you are to submit to your husband. He says, you are to have an inner quality of respect that affirms your husband's leadership, whether or not they're a good husband or a bad husband. Wives have a calling to submit. And we talked about how Peter talked about, uh, that doesn't mean you nag them. You, you, you don't nag them to change. You allow your conduct, your character to speak to your husband and allow God to use that to change him. He said, ladies, ladies, you're, you, you should not be known for your external beauty. You should be known for that internal beauty, that character, that who you are inside. Because that is what is going to change your husband. And we said, here's the key. Wives, how are you supposed to submit? Here's the key. Because wives, your hope is to be in God and not in your husband. You can submit to your husband because your hope is in God. Because listen, ladies, if you're waiting for your husband to fulfill you, if you're waiting for your husband to make all things right in your life, you're going to be bitterly disappointed. And all the ladies said, all the older ladies said, amen. There's some wisdom right there. Okay? Ladies, your husband will not fulfill you. Your husband will not fix what's gone wrong in your heart. Ladies, nothing will. You, you, can, you can pursue all sorts of things in life. You can have, uh, you can have uh, uh, the right, a great kind of job. You can have external beauty. You can have popularity. You can, haul, you can have all sorts of wealth. And that will not satisfy what's gone wrong in your heart. Only God will. So ladies, when you put your hope in God, he satisfies your heart and allows you to live the way that God has called you to live, which is in submission. 
Now, we want to clarify. When we say wives are called to submit, this has nothing to do with value. This has nothing to do with uh, importance or worth. God created men and women equal. He, sees, he, he views them and loves them equally. But in this context of marriage, in that relationship, God has put the husband as the leader. This is consistent throughout Scripture. And here, today, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're, look at, we're going to look at one verse, verse 7. And, and, and what's interesting is Peter's going to address that leader. Remember how Peter called the Christians to submit to the government? He called the Christians to submit to the jerk bosses, but he never dealt with those. Well, here's what he's going to do. He calls wives here to submit to your husband, and now he's going to deal with the husband. And men, I want you to understand the responsibility of that. You've been placed in a position of authority, uh, of leadership. That's not something to be gloated over. That's not something to be excited about. It is a weight and a responsibility. See, the marriage relationship is a picture of how Christ loved the church. And in your marriage, your relationship, you should be able to speak something to the people around you about the love, the grace, the forgiveness that Christ has and the commitment we should have towards him. People should look at your marriage and learn something about Christ. And we have this tendency as men to take advantage of that relationship. We have a tendency to take advantage of, I'm the man, I'm the leader, I'm in charge. See, being this leader is a high calling. Submission is not what women are can or cannot do. Submission is all about what men are called to do. And then ultimately, as a leader of your home, you will be held accountable before God. And I hope you take that calling today. And say, man, I'm going to lean into this. Because what Pete's going to do today, Peter's going to give insight as to husbands. This is your expectation. This is your calling. This is what God calls for you. Listen, if you're not a husband in here today, if you're a woman, man, this is the kind of man you should be looking for. If you're a single person today, if you're a single guy, man, this should be the kind of man that you're aspiring to be. Let me throw this caveat, ladies. You are not the Holy Spirit, okay? And if you get to the car and you elbow your husband and say, did you hear him? Did you hear what you have to do? Ladies, you will undo all the work that the Holy Spirit did today. I'm just being straight up. Allow God to be the Holy Spirit and not you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read one verse today. Now, you can follow along in your Bible. It'll also be on the screen behind me. And uh, we're going to read this now. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And that is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, just want to come before you today. And God, just ask you to help us to take this serious. Help us to understand this position of leadership and influence that, God, you've called men to, to, to take. God, I pray that you would speak to men in here today, that they would rise up to take their place, to do it in a godly way. God, I pray for the women in here today that they would be able to look and encourage their husbands to fulfill this call. And God, I pray that your spirit would rest on us, that we'd understand we're not coming here today to hear a pastor give us opinions on the best way to live, but God, this is your word. And God, I pray that you would seal it on our hearts, write it in our minds, and allow it to change our lives. Jesus, we plead for your presence on us now in your holy and precious name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Peter starts this section out with the word likewise. And the reason he uses that is because he's trying to continue on the same thing. He's been in this context where he's, uh, Peter started out and he's talked about who you are. Peter said, if, as a Christian, as a church, he says, we are called, which means God chose us. We are chosen by God to be on his team. Like, that's a pretty good thing for us to know. He says, you are a royal priesthood. Every one of us as Christians, we are a royal priesthood, which means we have direct access to God. We don't have to go to a pastor or a priest and say, hey, would you talk to the big man for me and ask for some help? 
No, we as Christians have direct access to God. And that's a great privilege and an honor. And Peter says, this is what God has done for you. Because God has done these things, here's how you respond. He says to live honorably among non-believers. We've talked about that. He said to submit to the government. He said submit to unjust bosses. He says, wives, you are to submit to your husbands. And now in that same section, in response to what God has done, now Peter says, likewise, husbands, you are to live differently as Christian husbands. And he's going to say, here's your calling. There's two imperatives he's going to give us, two commands, two things we're supposed to do. And then there's going to become a consequence for men who fail to live up to that. So here's what he's going to say first. Men, your calling first is to be a student of your wife. Here's what it says. It says, live with your wives in an understanding way. And understanding, what he means is to be a student of your wife. It means you're to know her. You're to study her. You should know what makes her tick. You should know how her mind works. You should know what her, her, um, uh, her gifts are, her talents, her hopes, and her dreams are. Like, man, isn't that what you do when you're dating? Like, isn't that what you do? You want to get to know her. You want to know everything you can about her. And so, men, you study her. You pay attention to the small things. And you try and notice the little things. And, men, something happened, right? See, men, we're conquerors. And it's like, when we, when we get that wedding certificate signed, when we are married, like, we're done. We conquered it. Like, we win. We got the prize. We're done. No, men, you're not done. Not quite. You see, I think uh, the way a woman works is kind of like an onion, right? Like you peel the one layer off, and there's another layer, and another layer, and another layer. In fact, as you talk to, I love talking to couples who are a lot older than us, because they'll tell us, man, you never stop learning. There's so many things I continue to learn. I love watching Dan enjoy, and how Dan continues to learn and to love his wife. See, men, we are students of some sorts of things, right? You may not be a student of your wife right now, but how many of you, if I asked you to change a radiator, how many of you would know how to do that? Or you would know where to look to go learn how to do that? How many of you go to YouTube, search how to change a radiator? And any guys can do that. See, there's a few of you that can figure that out. Let me ask you this. Does anybody know when the first Seahawks game is? Who cares? Who said that? Oh, gosh. Pray for this man right here. August 13th. August, well, that's preseason game, right? Okay. Can anybody tell me who the number one running back for the Seahawks is? Come on, somebody, speak out. Actually, we don't really know who it's going to be, right? We assume it's going to be Eddie Lacy, right? Any of you men, can you tell me, um, can you tell me any of the specs on the newest iPhone? Well, it's this many gigabytes, it's, it does this, it does that. See, man, we're students of certain things. You can learn all you want about mechanics, about sports, about technology. And men, those are the things that we do. We can come up with all sorts of facts. But men, what's your wife's favorite color? You can change the radiator. But do you know your wife's love language? Men, what was your wife's biggest accomplishment this past week? Men, what was the hardest thing your wife faced this past week? See, men, we can still be students of some things. The older we get, the harder it is to learn, but we still learn things that we want to learn. The question is, are we learning the important things? The main things? I know, men, you're saying it. <laughs> Learning a woman, that's, that's overwhelming. Like, you have to learn a whole new language, right? Like, I, I, I mean, if any of you in here today have figured out how to learn and know everything there is about a woman, you should write a book. I'm going to buy it for every man in here. Like, like, if you can figure that out, like, I will pay you a lot of money to tell us what, how to learn everything there is to know about a woman. Okay? But when you are married, you signed up to have a lifelong pursuit of knowing your wife. But all too often, men, it's too easy for us to begin to build up a wall and say, well, I'm going to go and learn these things. I'm going to prioritize these things. You stop pursuing your wife. 
And there's a, there's a, there's a little poem. See, I am, I am high class. I read a poem this week. There's a poem that kind of, I think it details the picture of what it looks like for a husband and a wife to stop pursuing each other. It says, Their wedding picture mocked them from the table. These two lives no longer touched each other. They lived with such a heavy barricade between them that neither battering rams of words nor artilleries of touch could break it down. Somewhere between the oldest child's first tooth and the youngest daughter's graduation, they lost each other. Throughout the years, each slowly unraveled that tangled ball of string called self. And as they tugged at the stubborn knots, each hid their searching from one another. Sometimes she cried at night and begged the whispering darkness to tell her who she was. While he lay beside her, snoring like a hibernating bear, unaware of her winter. She took a course in modern art trying to find herself and complaining to other women about men who were insensitive. He climbed into a tomb called the office, wrapped his mind in a shroud of paper figures, and buried himself with customers. Slowly the wall between them rose, cemented by a mortar of indifference. One day, reaching out to touch the other, they found a barrier they could not penetrate. And recoiling, recoiling from the coldness of the stone, each retreated from the stranger on the other side. For when love dies, it is not in a moment of angry battle, nor when fiery bodies lose their heat. It lies panting, exhausted, expiring at the bottom of a wall it could not scale. What's your marriage look like, gentlemen? Has that wall been being built up? For years, for some of you? That the moment you try and connect, you realize there's this huge wall in front of me. Men, you cannot stop studying and learning and knowing your wife. The longer you are married, the more you should know I have more opportunity to know her. You ought to be an expert about your wife like no one else. He says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Live with your wife. This is an idea that promotes togetherness. That as a husband, it is your uh, responsibility to promote a spirit of, of emotional, spiritual, and physical togetherness with your wife. Men, that is your responsibility. Now, I know, I know in our culture, women are more, uh, you know, they're into the communication. They're more relational. Men, we're not really communicative. We just grunt. But men, I want you to understand that the, the, the burden for intimacy in your marriage, it's not on your wife. It's on you. It is your responsibility. And we've got to stop using that lame excuse, well, I just don't communicate very well. I'm just not an intimate person. Listen, you are going to be the one that's held responsible for how together you are with your wife. For the intimacy in your relationship. And I'm not just talking sexual, I'm talking emotional. You are responsible for that. Spiritual leadership is not a license for you to do what you want to do. Spiritual leadership is an empowerment for you to do what you ought to do. See, as a leader in your, in your marriage, you're not given that place of leadership so you can serve yourself. You are to serve your wife, to know her, to be a student, to dive into your wife's world, to know her passions, to know her talents, to know her abilities. I was thinking about this. Thinking, why don't, why don't men want to know those things about their wives? Why don't men want to know their wives' talents and passions, passions and abilities? And, and, and probably because men are fearful. Men, we're afraid we're going to lose control. We're afraid what happens if our wife begins to change. But remember, leadership, biblical leadership, is not about control. It's about love. Men, you should want more than just a trophy wife who has the house nice and clean, 
and looks pretty, but doesn't have character, doesn't have an opinion. See, you are more of a man if you develop your wife's God-given abilities, working together for God's good and for your glory. You're more of a man if you do that than if you just have that trophy wife who's quiet, who doesn't have an opinion. Listen, your wife will change. And she'll change for the better. Don't stifle what God has wired in your wife. Learn how to water it, how to nourish it, and how to bring it into full blossom. So man, this almost sounds a little bit too obvious, but how do you learn, how do you, how do you learn about your wife? How do you study her? How do you know her? See, so many of us live in these separate worlds. We've got that wall, and here's my world, and here's my television, and here's my phone, and here's my activities. On the other side of this wall, here's you, honey, and you've got the household, and you've got the kids, you've got all these things, and we've got this, these separate lives. Man, it's time to turn the TV off. Get off your stinking phone. Quit poker night if you have to. And begin to pursue your wife. And it is as simple as this, of just being together. That's all it takes. Just being together. Men, go for a walk with your wife. You know what happens when you go for a walk? You can't play on your stinking phone. Because if you do, you walk into a tree. I've done it. It doesn't work. Go for a walk with your wife. And you know what that's going to force you to do? To talk. Communication right there. And men, your job is you're talking with your wife. Your job isn't to, to solve all of her problems. Your job is just to listen. Just to listen. Pick up on what she's afraid of. Pick up on what she's passionate about. Pick up on what makes her tick. And then pursue those things. Men, do the dishes with your wife. Not because she needs help but because an opportunity to be together. Men, go shopping with your wife. I know, shopping sounds horrible. But listen, it is fun. Because you can sit and watch all these people do all sorts of weird things when they're shopping. Trust me, it's great. Go shopping with your wife. Go on a date with your wife. Do whatever it takes, but spend time with her. Pursue her. Be a student of your wife. You cannot stop these things, you've got to continue to do them. Intertwine your lives together. There's another quote that says, uh, chains do not hold a marriage together. It is threads, hundreds of tiny threads which sew people together through the years. See, I don't think any of us enter into a marriage, into a relationship, hoping it fails after a few years. Just because you got married in a church, just because a pastor did the wedding, doesn't mean you're going to succeed. You've got to do the work into the relationship to make it work. Those tiny threads of intertwining our lives together, of knowing each other, that's what's going to lead you to the promised land. Men, how are you doing at being a student of your wife? Let me just say, it's hard. It's hard. So here's what I would encourage you to do. You want to be a student of your wife? We've picked up a couple of books on marriage. Man, just once a year, read a book on marriage. Because let me tell you what, when you read that book on marriage, it's going to challenge you to think differently. It's going to challenge you to confront some of the assumptions you make. To, to, to want to do something different, to love your wife better. There's two books on the resource table. Pick one of them up this week. Begin to read it. It'll challenge you to be better at knowing your wife. Here's the second thing that Peter says about the husband's calling. He says, show honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. The question is, well, what's honor? I mean, we look at what God's called the woman to do, you know. Woman, you're to submit to your husband, and man, at the very least, you can honor her and open the car door, right? No, honor actually means a little bit more than that. In fact, this word honor is the same uh, word that's tran translated as precious in chapter 2, verse 7. 
And what, what, what Peter is saying when he says, honor your wife as a weaker vessel, he's saying, treat her with preciousness. Think of, think of, uh, uh, think of my precious, my precious. Men, let your wife know she is precious to you. Because you know what happens when you have something precious? Something precious, they take a special place. There's a particular care and, and, and courtesy and care, uh, concern that you have for things that are precious to you, right? So men, what's precious to you? Any of you got that car in the garage? That motorcycle in the garage? That's precious. Like, I treat that thing, I dust it, I, 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 I manicure it, I want it to look great. Maybe, what do you collect? You collect guns, collect sports memorabilia. My brother has a room in his house, and it's all got all this sports memorabilia signed by all these people. I guess it's precious. What's precious to you? Your, your stamp collection? I don't know. What's precious to you? Is it your hobby? My hobby is what's precious to me. My job, my career, my reputation, my ministry. What is it that's precious to you? Because when you have something that is precious, there's a certain way that you live for it, that you treat it. No one's going to touch it. No one's going to mess with it. You're going to treat whatever's precious to you with the utmost care. And Peter is saying, men, you should treat your wife like that. Your wife should be that thing that you hold most precious. Listen, let me just deal with this for how you speak to your wife. We talked about this last week about women. When you nag at your husband, you don't build him up. You're not really changing him. You're defeating him by nagging at him constantly. Remember the book, in, the verse in Proverbs? It's like a little leak that brings destruction. Men, how you speak to your wife shows how precious you think she is. Some of you feeling it right now? Men, how you speak about your wife when she's not there speaks to whether or not you view her as being precious or not. It is so simple, but the way that we speak to one another, the way that we speak about our spouse to other people, it's got to change. It's got to change. Now, I understand, like men, we have this egotistical thought where, where, where I'm, I'm the man. Like, you, you serve me. You see how that idea is contrasted by the type of leadership that, that the Bible calls us to. But the leadership in our home has nothing to do with power and authority, but it has to do with love and with service. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that, men, we are to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? He gave his entire life for her. He gave everything away for her. Men, that's how you show whether or not she's really precious to you. I know you've got your hobbies, you've got your, your things that you want to do, you've got your TV shows, you've got all these things. But men, are you willing to set those aside for your wife? To show her you're precious to me. To show her unmistakably that apart from Christ, she is the most precious thing in your world. And see, man, this is why we are to be a student of our wives. Because we don't get to decide, well, well this is how I'm going to show you you're precious. See, what happens is we all have our own little love languages. And so, so men, you know, you have the way that you feel love is, is communicated. And so you just assume, well, this is what I'm going to do for my wife. I love physical affection. Most men do. We like physical affection. And, and gifts. That's what I like. So if my wife gives me a gift, man, I feel so good. And so my assumption was, hey, my wife, I'm going to communicate how much I love her, but just by her gifts. So she was pregnant with our second oldest son. And, uh, and she said, oh, I want a Kit Kat. And I'm like, all right, I'm a student. Ding, 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 ding. She likes Kit Kats. Okay. For the next year and a half, I probably bought her 500 Kit Kats, no doubt. Like 500 of them. Finally, finally, she says, hey, Kevin, I was pregnant. Pregnant women have cravings. 
I can't even look at another Kit Kat. You are wasting your money. You know how my wife feels that she's precious? Quality time and acts of service. I can buy all the Kit Kats in the world, and she just looks and says, you're wasting money. But man, if I can clean the kitchen and then go on a walk with her, she's on cloud nine. Men, you don't get to decide how to give your wife and make her feel precious. That's why you have to be a student of her. Figure out what makes her tick. Figure out what she's passionate about, what she loves. And men, you pursue those things. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to say, honor your wife for who she is in two different ways. Who she is naturally and who she is spiritually. Here's what he says. He says, uh, uh, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. As the weaker partner. Now when we read that, those two words, weaker vessel, what are the, what are the two most important letters in that, in that verse, in that word? E-R. Notice it says, honor the woman as the weaker vessel. See, we like to read that verse and say, honor the woman as a weak vessel. Honor her as the weak person, as the weak partner in the relationship. But that's not what that says. She says she's the weaker partner. First Peter chapter 1 verse 24 says, all flesh, every one of us, man or woman, we are like grass and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fails. This is what happens, men. All of us are weak. Peter's not saying that, that women are, 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 are weaker than you are. They're doormats for you to walk on. All of us are weak. We're not superior just because we have different plumbing than our wives. It's not what he's saying. So what is he saying? How is he specifically talking about our wives being the weaker vessel? Definitely not mentally. Definitely not morally. Probably physically, right? I mean, not always the case. There are some of you women that could take your husbands. Some of you women. Jen Kalavig, maybe. But for the most part, men are going to be able to carry more, do more than women. That just happens to be normally the case. But there's something more here. Okay, something I want you to see. When he calls her the, the weaker vessel, perhaps Peter's speaking about the woman's God-given role. Because if a wife is going to be obedient to God, then she's accepted a position of submission. Which I would say is a position of vulnerability. And therefore, a position that could be a potential weakness. And what I see Peter saying is, is men, because your wife is obeying God, she has put herself in a position of weakness, in a position of submission. So men, don't you dare exploit that. Don't you dare take advantage of her. Don't you dare abuse your wife. I think he's saying, honor your wife as a weaker vessel. Honor the sacrifice that she's made. That position of, of weakness that she has put herself in to be, to fulfill God's call on her life. He says, honor her because she's the weaker vessel. He also says, honor her spiritually. He says, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life. The King James Version says, uh, she is a joint heir in Christ with you. See, man, again, lest we think that we're in this position of leadership because we're so far superior than her. Peter says, no, listen. She believes in the same Savior. She is, is redeemed by the same ransom. She lives in the same grace. She is looking forward to the same destiny as you are. We are equal in God's eyes. Our, our, our influence isn't because we're greater than she is. No, God says we're all equal. There's no, there, there's no greatness to be ascribed to men. And here's, here's where we get to the last part of this verse. We get to the consequence. The final phrase. And this is what happens when men, if you do or you don't fulfill your calling. Now, I wish I could say that it would read, hey, if you honor your wife 
If, if, you, if you be a student of her, if you treat her as precious, I wish it would say so that you can have a happy family. Like, wouldn't that be good? Like, there's a formula there to follow. Like, if you just love your wife and, and be a student of her, then everything's going to be, like, how many of you would sign up for that? That's not what it says. Some of us, we approach family almost like an idol. And we've allowed our family to become idolatry. Well, I, I can't go to worship. I can't, I, can't, I can't serve in the church. I can't give in the church because I'm worshiping on the shrine of my family. Listen, God absolutely calls us to pay attention to our family. But has your family become a God before the one true God? This is the reason uh, to fulfill these relationships. This is what consequence. He says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. See, the consequence when we fail to fulfill our calling men is that we will have unanswered prayers. Our relationship with God is intact. Our relationship with God isn't isn't dependent on how we behave. But our relationship with our wife, if it's wrong, then Peter just said, "The, the, the, the windows of heaven will be closed to you. I think about that great line by Uncle Ben from Spider Man. Very theological. With great power comes great responsibility. Men, your wife, she is the weaker vessel. She has submitted herself to you. Man, as the leader, this is not a relationship to be taken lightly. This is not a responsibility to be taken lightly. This is not a time for men to say, let's be macho. I'm the man. I'm the man. Man, this is a time for you and I to fear God. Because God is going to hold us accountable for how we lead and how we love. I mean, if you're going to fulfill that calling that God has given you, that you are going to lead and love and serve your wife, that you are going to be a student of your wife, you're going to continue to pursue her, that you're going to view her and and treat her as though she's precious and honor her. And listen, there's going to be a consequence if you don't do that. This is why there are some of us in here, and we've prayed and prayed and prayed. It seems like to no avail. God, haven't you heard my prayers? God, I've been pleading with you for this. And how's your relationship with your wife? Men, let me speak to you for a second. Let me speak to the ladies for a second as well. See, it's easy to come to church and hear a message like this and say, man, that was really good. Thank you. I have a lot of knowledge now. I know this is what a husband is supposed to look like. Man, I don't really want to hear that. I don't want to hear that it was a good message. Man, here's what I want you to do. What is one thing that you can walk away with today to do different this week? Do you understand what's at stake? Your leadership, your calling is at stake. Every one of us in here today, I don't care how great your marriage is, how poor your marriage is, I don't care if you are a long ways from even considering about marriage, I want you to think, what is one thing I can do that I could be more like God has called me to be? Of how you're treating your wife, how you're treating people around you. Ladies, what was your takeaway from last week? Not that it was a good message, but what are you doing different because of that? Men, let me encourage you in a very simple area. You want to improve your marriage this week? Here's what I encourage you to do. Take your wife by the hand. Kneel beside your bed and pray with your wife. Just to be straight up honest, that's been a struggle for me. Sometimes when I do that, I feel, it feels forced. It feels awkward. Feels like, oh, I'm just doing this because I'm supposed to do this. And, and does my wife, is she just reading through it? Does she really know I want to move on to something else? And we're just doing this to appease her. But here's what I found. When I take my wife by the hand, I say, let's pray together. Listen, I can't bullcrap God. I can't. And if I'm taking my wife and I'm praying with her, it kind of forces me to make sure that I'm being the kind of man I'm supposed to be. Because God, God reads through the crap. God reads through it. 
And there's no way I'm going to kneel down and pray with my wife while I'm not living the way that he's called me to be. When I'm praying with my wife, that's the time that I find myself confessing before God. God, help me to treat her as precious. Help me to be a student of her. God, help me to, to turn the TV off, to put the phone down, and pursue my wife. Man, I encourage you this week, take her by the hand every night. Kneel down and pray with her. And see what God does in your heart. See how God begins to change you. From you assuming that position of leadership. Of honey, let's pray together. Here's the husband's calling. To know your wife, to be a student of her. To honor her and treat her as your precious. And why do we do this? We do this in light of what Christ has done for us. I mean, Christ gives us the example of knowing us. Christ knows every one of us. He knows all about us. God created us. He knows all the good. He knows all the bad. You know what's crazy about that? Is he's seen us on our good days, and he's seen us on the bad days. The days that we wish nobody else would know about. And guess what? He still loves you. He still accepts you. Despite knowing us, he has chosen to honor us. To consider us precious. So precious that he sent his son Jesus to the cross. To pay the payment for our sin. So that we can become sons and daughters of God. Man, I know it is hard. I know that God calls us to go above and beyond in love. And some of us, some of you, you have a wife that's hard to love. Just be honest. Sometimes wives aren't fulfilling their calling. And it becomes very difficult, men, for us to say, man, I'm, I want to be passionate about my wife, but we just have this, 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 this conflict, and I just feel like we can't get through it. Listen, men. That is when you have to love the strongest. You see, we don't deserve to be loved by God anyways. And your wife doesn't deserve to be loved by you anyways. And neither do we. Jesus, as he gave his life, you know when he did that? He did it while we were still sinning. He did it while we were still saying, hey, God, I know this is how you called me to live, but I'm going to do it my way anyways. God, no, I'm not going to do your thing. I'm just going to pursue my thing. Like we reject him time and time again, yet he still went to the cross. He still paid our penalty. He still accepted us. He died for those who least deserved it, which is you and me. And men, we are to love our wives like that. But don't make your wife work for your love. When you feel rejected, when you feel disheartened, when you feel frustrated, that is when, men, you need to love the strongest. Because ultimately, your love has an agenda. When you love your wife like that, God uses that to make her holy. So here's how I want to close today. Today I want to close with having an opportunity to take communion. If you don't know what communion is, you haven't been in church in a while, communion uh, is something that Jesus instituted the night he, he was betrayed. He took the bread with his disciples and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you on the cross. And he took the cup with the juice and he said, this is the new covenant between God and people. That through the shedding uh, of Jesus' blood, that you and I can have forgiveness of sins. Communion is a picture of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. The sacrifice he made on the cross. Listen, if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you are not a Christian, listen, communion isn't for you. Communion has special meaning for us as Christians. Because it's a picture of what he's done. It's a way for us to be reminded of what he's done. If you are not a believer, if you are not a Christian, I would encourage you, come forward and talk to me. I'd love to pray with you and, and help you know how you can know Jesus as your Savior. If you are a Christian, I'm going to invite you to respond to God's Word today through communion. In a very specific way. See, the Apostle Paul says communion is an act of worship. It's a remember of, remembrance of Jesus' 
uh, sacrificial death. And, and, and Paul instructs us before we partake of communion to examine our lives and to confess any sin prior to partaking of communion. So wherever you are today, I encourage you to spend just a couple minutes between you and God. Pray and say, God, here's where I'm at. God, would you forgive me for these areas? And men, men, I want you to lead during this. I want you to lead your wife during this time. Take a minute and pray with her. Lead her in prayer. When you come up to communion, serve her the elements. You know why would I have you do that? Because I want you to understand the high calling you have as a man. That being the leader isn't just about power and authority. It's about giving it yourself. And as you look at the greatest sacrifice that's ever been made, I want you to consider how you are to sacrifice yourself for your spouse. Let's pray. God, so thankful for the opportunity to open up your word and just be able to speak to men. God, to be able to call us to something more. Every one of us, whether we are married or not, whether we are young or old, God, help us understand what it means for us to be a man of God. It's not a position of authority and, and power because of how, how great we are. But God, it's a responsibility and a weight. And God, I pray for men in this place today to take these things seriously. To love their wives like Christ loved the church. To be passionate about studying their wives about knowing their wives. And the God, that we would stop allowing everything else to be more precious to us and we would begin to treat her and honor her as a gift that she truly is. God, I pray that you would transform marriages through this. God, I pray that you would transform men through this. And God, ultimately, I pray that you would help us to become more like you. That we would understand the only way we can do this is to place our faith and our trust in you. God, I plead for your presence on us now. For an intimate time of worship. A response to the word of God. Through communion. God, we love you and we praise you and we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.